When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the 12th episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. Thank you for finding us. We're on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. Did recent episodes on Dwayne Wade's Return to the Heat, as well as LeBron James' uh, resurgence with the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and what that means for where he might head this offseason. I'm here with Chris Winningham. Uh, we're going to go through this time around as the All-Star break comes up. We're going to go through the five reasons that the Eastern Conference will be interesting in, I guess, what is the second half of the season, although it's really just a, a third sliver of the season in terms of the number of games that will be played. I'm going to go through this a little bit, Chris, because I, I think the Eastern Conference you know, has gotten such a bad rep over recent years, which has been well-deserved. Um, you know, It had been, I think, 18 years since the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference finished with a better record than the eighth seed in the Western Conference. That finally got turned over last year. This year, the East has been, I guess, interesting because Cleveland has has not really surged to the top of it because Boston, uh, a new-look team that had a, a huge injury on the first night of the season, thought that maybe they might fade a little bit. And also because what's happened towards the bottom of the conference where you have a bunch of teams that are uh, very tightly packed right now as we as we head into the all-star break what's been sort of your overall impressions of the conference this year it's an interesting point you bring up in terms of the the balance of the conferences and obviously you know Toronto and Boston are up there with really good records you know winning percentage around 700 but I, I really do think that parity has reached 28 of the 30 NBA cities I think Golden State and Houston are really the only teams right now that are kind of stand out well above the rest of the league in terms of performance teams and I think when you look at this Eastern Conference, obviously you would favor Toronto to beat Miami, the eight seed right now in a playoff series. But if I said to you that you know Miami took a game in Air Canada Center and in one of the first two games and and did well at home and took away that series, would it be that shocking? I I, I don't know if it would be immensely shocking in the way that you know let's say Cleveland last year losing to Indiana in that first round or, or whatever the case may be. I really do think that. The rules for parity and the way that the cap is now being stretched out in terms of guys getting their due amount of money have really kind of achieved a balance in, in, in the league that is what they were hoping for, except in Golden State, because of the way that they were grandfathered in with the rules, with the salary cap increase, and the superstars that they have. I just think that they're so far above the rest of the league. But in the Eastern Conference, it makes it compelling because there is real balance in the conference. Well, I think the biggest thing, Chris, is that there's just not a lot of trust for the two teams at the top. And, Agreed. And, I, and, and there's still a feeling, uh, I think there was a feeling among many, uh, you had this feeling actually when we did that pod, that Cleveland was going to go to the finals even with the cast that they had before these recent trades. And now the recent trades and the way that that's looked in their first two games with the new players, then more people are sort of jumping on that bandwagon that, that LeBron's going to get back to the finals because it is what he does, right? And this will be the eighth straight year of him getting there. They played but the I second greatest regular season game ever yes. played last night in Oklahoma City. <laughs> they, they did. They did. And, and, and you know what? To give them some credit, I mean, there, there are some pieces there that look pretty good. And, and I said before 
the trades were made, and after the trades were made, the most important thing was getting LeBron rejuvenated again because he, he didn't look like the old LeBron in the previous month. And certainly he's looked terrific now ever since he sort of found out that these trades were had a chance to be made. I mean, he was great in the Minnesota game, too, before they made the deals. But I think the biggest thing, we'll get to sort of our, our number one reason that the Eastern Conference is compelling the rest of the way, and, and it gets to these two teams in particular that, that I don't think there's there's a ton of trust in for various reasons, which is Toronto and Boston and this race for the number one seed. And I think what we've seen here over the past couple of weeks is that the team that really deserves to be number one in the East has ascended to number one in the East in the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors have had this entire season just about since about the first month after Boston went on that really strong run. Toronto's had the best net rating in the Eastern Conference by a pretty wide margin for a while. And and, and that, that margin has gotten wider lately. They have been the best team in the East. Boston has pulled out a lot of tight games, but Toronto has had the most blowout wins. And the most impressive thing for Toronto so far has been that we've talked so much over the years about Lowry and DeRozan, and and was that a good enough one-two punch at the top to take you to an NBA Finals? But this season hasn't just been about Lowry and DeRozan. Uh, Their bench has been by far the best bench in the league with with really guys that most NBA fans have never heard of. Um, They they totally redid this thing, cleared out a bunch of, of their other veteran guys who have been there in recent seasons and guys like you know Fred Van Vliet uh, and others and Delon Wright have made huge impacts and these are guys playing 18 to 20 minutes a game so not only have they been effective but they've been effective in extended minutes and that's taken a lot of uh, the pressure off of Lowry and DeRozan right now Lowry's averaging 32 minutes a game which is uh, you know the lowest we've seen from him uh, since he was a part-time player. So I think that the biggest thing this year for Toronto is that the Dwayne Casey has been able to spread it out between about 10 guys, and, and they go to that bench, and that bench has been uh, has been dominant this season. And we know that in the playoffs that you have to shrink it a little bit, that you're not going to go you know with quite uh, that much of an extended rotation. But to have the ability to go to guys that Dwayne Casey trusts is a big deal. So I guess to start with Toronto, I know there's a lack of trust in them because we've seen in the past that in the playoffs that they tend to fade, that Lowry in particular has struggled. But I wonder, uh, Chris, if this year is different and if they can secure the number one seed, if people will actually look at them as a number one seed. Yeah, and we have a bit of recency bias here because we saw them play Miami last night and the way that they kind of broke away in the third. But in that fourth, they do kind of show those signs that we don't trust about Toronto and, and their inability to close games, their inability to really deliver in big moments. And I'm generally not someone that likes intangible analysis, but we've just seen it too often with this Raptors team over the last few years and what they've done in the postseason, particularly against weaker opponents. They always make heavy work of it. And so you're looking for vital signs that would lead you to indicate that this is different. Now, if we were operating in a kind of pre-Cavaliers world, right? So last year, I was broken by the Cavaliers in terms of the analysis that you were trying to do during the season. And you're looking at them in the bottom third in the league in defensive rating, and they weren't good in the regular season. You're thinking, all right, this is going to be the year where they get challenged. And it didn't end up happening. And so I'm starting to become less and less of a believer in the regular season sample. But 
If you were, you look at Toronto, beyond just their record, they're fourth in the league in offensive rating, they're fourth in the league in defensive rating, they're fourth in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. And so they have legitimately changed their style of play. They have made legitimate improvements. I just think that because it's the regular season, I at least have a tendency to not believe it. But if you're going off of those vital signs of what they're doing in this regular season and the fact, like like you mentioned, that they're taking a bit of a load off of their stars when really the regular season now is an exercise to just get through, get healthy, mm-hmm. get to the postseason, be fresh. The fact that you have players that are coming off the bench and providing an impact where you're not just trying to survive with Lowry and DeRozan on the bench, you can give them real legitimate rest during these games, I think we'll hopefully see a postseason where they look more like themselves, they're healthier, and they deliver those kinds of performances in a round one series and then move on to deliver more impressive and more competitive kinds of performances against Boston and against Cleveland. What's really remarkable about what Masai Ujiri has done is that he's rebuilt this bench without really any veteran guys. I mean, you know, usually you see a team take the next step when they have a couple of star or borderline star players. It's because they add veteran guys to that core. This team has gone the other direction. Since he made the move for Ibaka, they've just basically gotten younger. The other thing, Chris, if they're the number one seed, they've been very good at home this year. Very good. I mean, their net rating at home is a plus 14. Um, They've been getting better lately. Their net rating in February is a plus 14. That's excellent. I mean, a plus 14 net rating, I mean, that's Golden State 73 win level that Toronto's been playing at over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, I think the flexibility that they have with this roster, I think that they're going to end up with a number one seed. They're only a game ahead of Boston as we record this podcast, but I, th- I just think they have, in terms of the number of bodies that they have, their ability to withstand injuries, although I think Boston maybe has the better future than, than Toronto has, I expect Toronto to end up with a number one seed. Let's go to the other team, I, which I do think, you know, the team that's going to finish most likely second in the Eastern Conference, which is Boston. And look, I'm not going to be critical of Danny Ainge here because Danny Ainge has pulled off three or four of the most lopsided trades in a team's favor in recent years. If you look at what he's done, what he did obviously to Brooklyn, what he did to Cleveland, the other picks that he's picked up, and then you look at the, the trade with Philadelphia in the draft, which seems to have worked out pretty well also. So, so clearly um, nobody's really in position to criticize Danny Ainge at this point. With that being said, I think they needed one more score at the trade deadline. And, and, and I think I, you know, the Tyreek Evans move to me was important for them to make for this year because I, what I see right now with this team is, is just an inability to score for long stretches. If you, if you look at their, where their offensive rating is compared to other teams in the Eastern Conference, the only team that's, that's even close to them in terms of struggling to score that's in the playoff picture in the East is, is Miami. Boston you know, goes through long droughts with this group and they've also got a couple of young players who, you know, have not been relied upon on an NBA roster as much as they're being relied upon now with with uh, with Jalen Brown in his second season and then with Jason Tatum as a rookie and and we've seen Jason Tatum's numbers kind of come back to earth a little bit as the season has progressed. So I I thought if they were going to make a serious run at the number 1 seed this year, they needed one more score even with Kyrie coming back healthy. That would be my only disappointment with Boston is that I, you know they're going to be good defensively. You know they're going to be well coached by Brad Stevens. You know that Kyrie is going to, has the ability to take over late in games, and they've won a ton of close games. But my thing was that I thought they needed one more scorer on this team to kind of get over the hump, and, and Danny d- decided not to do that before the trade deadline. The one thing I find interesting about Boston is that you look at the starting lineup that they used a lot this year, 
it can score and defend. So their their starting lineup for the most part has been Irving, Tatum, Brown, Horford, and Baines. And they played in 30 games together. Offensive rating 109, defensive rating 94.6. That's really solid. I think the problem really starts to come is when you start to bring in, you know, either Marcus Smart or you have to start going deep into their bench. They're not a very deep team. And I think this does go back to, obviously, we've seen growth with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum by virtue of the fact that Gordon Hayward went out in that open game against Cleveland with that nasty injury. Now, the kind of talk around Boston right now is that Hayward might be ready to come back by the end of the regular season. And I think if he was able to give it a go and really be at full strength by round two or round three, I think that's when Boston could kick on because we've seen just uh, an inability to score that you mentioned, but they do okay with the starters, and they do okay when Kyrie Irving is in the game, but you really see when he leaves, that number starts to drop, and Boston right now sits currently as the 21st best offensive team in the league. I just think they're relying on players that I'm not sure are NBA caliber scorers. Like you said, they needed that one more player, but that one more player might just end up being Gordon Hayward. And so we'll see if he can be back by the end of the season and really help contribute from an offensive creation point of view. Even if it is off the bench, it's those bench units that need scoring. So I think that that's where their biggest hope lies right now. Chris, I want to get to our, our second reason the, the second half of, or the last third of the NBA season is going to be interesting in the Eastern Conference, which is Cleveland. And we've talked about them on previous podcasts before and after the trades. As you mentioned, they look pretty good against Oklahoma City also not only is LeBron rejuvenated at this stage and looks like he likes playing with these guys, but suddenly like J.R. Smith is playing at a reasonably high level. Um, we've seen J.R. have these kind of uh, spells before where he plays well for a couple of weeks and then really, really struggles. So I don't know how much to expect from him going forward, but I guess let's get through early impressions of what they've done and sort of how they've looked in these first couple games uh, with the new players. I don't like doing the body language stuff, but to me, when you look at LeBron and and, and the joy that he's playing with at the moment, I think that's really been the thing during his time in Cleveland that you just don't see often enough that you saw a lot during his time in Miami is that enthusiasm and that joy playing basketball. I think there have been too many times where it's been too miserable for him, and I think you just see him playing with younger players, playing with a bit more energy, uh, just that feeling of newness and not having so much drama surrounding the team anymore. I think you're really seeing a rejuvenated LeBron James, and you look at last night's box score, and I think plus-minus can at times be a bit overrated, but... Cleveland won that game over Oklahoma City on the bench. LeBron was actually a negative one in plus-minus. It was Jeff Green, Larry Nance Jr., and Jordan Clarkson who were leading the way in terms of plus-minus and when they really went out and won the game. And I think you see Jordan Clarkson. We talked about the Mario Chalmers comp with him on the previous pod because of the relationship with him in terms of being a point guard who doesn't necessarily need the ball. I think the other way you see it, too, is in the irrational confidence as well, where He's taken big threes and tried a no-look pass that I saw a highlight of last night. And Jordan Clarkson is really that kind of player that, that can work off the bench and, and can help create. I just think you just see this revitalization of youth and legs off the bench that they just so desperately needed. And even if it's not necessarily sustainable or these guys, you know, Larry, you know Jordan Clarkson's not going to go 6 for 10 every game. And I still think that difference in the mood of the team and the way that LeBron is playing right now I think is really going to lead to a significant difference and we talked about the idea of Boston having to play Cleveland in round two I think right now they would do well to hold on to that two seed and trying to hold off Cleveland right now in terms of what they're producing right now and the way that they're playing their basketball 
we've seen in the past that that LeBron's teams have often had sort of a conundrum towards the end of the season on whether or not to go for a seed or whether or not to pull up and get him some rest. I, I think the trades uh, allow him to do both in a sense. I, I think that they're going to be able to go for that two spot because I think, again, you, you have him as a rejuvenated player at this stage. But I also think that having more help will keep him a little bit fresher here going forward. So maybe they do make a run for the number two, whereas in past years we've seen at times, I remember uh, when he was with the Heat, and the Heat kind of pulled up a little bit when Indiana was the one seed, and the Heat kind of settled into that two spot. I, I think this time around, you know, you may see Cleveland push for the two. They're trying to valid validate the trades. These guys are trying to prove that they belong there. You've got four players, um, and I, I know, you know a couple of them are signed for next season, but you got four players who are trying to prove themselves that they can fit in that culture. Rodney Hood's playing for a new contract contract as, as a restricted free agent so and then you have Kevin Love coming back which will give them another shot in the arm here in a few weeks and, and then you know they'll have to make a decision how to play out the rotation at that point Ty Lue's got some decisions to make as far as how he plays the starting lineup and how he goes to the bench but I do think you will see Cleveland make a legitimate run at the two spot things are not always going to look as good as they've looked looked for the first couple games I think there will be times where sort of not having another creator on the floor with LeBron will hurt a little bit, but as long as he's motivated to be the creator for other players, you know, I think that gives him something to sort of uh, to work on the rest of the year. You know, the other thing is we, we talk a lot about offensively. The Cavs, even when he hasn't had the best mix with him up there, have been a really good offensive team. Um, and, and at times they've been historically good. The, the thing that I've seen over the first couple games is that there are stretches that they play really connected defense and I didn't although they have some guys who are more defensively inclined than they did before I didn't think that that would come together quite so quickly where we see guys helping for each other rotating that's just not something that was happening previously with the Cavs team that was constructed at the start of the season so all of that's positive and we know that you know LeBron look LeBron has gotten to an NBA finals from a two seed there's no reason he can't get to an NBA finals from a three seed I don't think he has any fear of Boston or Toronto. We've seen what he's done to those two teams over the past couple of years in the postseason. So they could settle into the three, but I do I do agree with you. I think they're going to make a run uh, at at least the two spot before, before maybe they shut down LeBron and say the last week of the season. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The one thing I'd like to see from them, though, is a reduction in LeBron's minutes. LeBron is third in the league in minutes played behind Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Not surprising that they're Tibbs players, but also Minnesota played four more games in Cleveland. So you look at what LeBron has logged in terms of total minutes played. Uh, that That's entirely too big a number for someone who's on year 15. I think kind of like what we're seeing with Toronto and the improvement of their bench unit, 
if Clarkson, if Nance, if Hood provide real impact off the bench, maybe you can finally see LeBron James getting some rest. Now, we have seen Cleveland play in big games since those guys have come in in terms of at Boston and at Oklahoma City. Maybe when you're playing home against Portland, you can you can rest a little bit more. But I do want to see LeBron, who, who I think got close to 40 minutes last night, take a little bit of that load off. I understand he's superhuman, but it, it is getting to be a bit too much in terms of the minutes that he's playing. All right, let's get to our third reason that the last third of the NBA season will be interesting in the Eastern Conference, and that's this battle for the fourth spot in the East. And I think it's pretty safe to say that with Cleveland making the moves, that even though they have only a two-game lead over Milwaukee, that probably nobody's going to catch Cleveland for one of those top three spots. So let's put Toronto, Boston, and Cleveland kind of in a separate category here and look at the team's that are fighting for the four spot right now, and they are really bunched up, Chris. Um, we've got we got a tie right now between Milwaukee and Washington. Indiana is a half game back of them. Philadelphia entering tonight, two games back. The Heat will play in Philadelphia tonight, two and a half games back of the four spots. So you've got five teams bunched within two and a half games of each other. We've seen these teams kind of take turns as high as four or five in recent weeks, and, and we've seen you know different ones get hot. You've got the Sixers now on a four-game winning streak. The, the Heat have lost seven out of ten. The Pacers, you know, I, I keep waiting for that Cinderella story to end, and that they've won seven out of their last ten. The Bucks have won eight out of their last ten, looked really good since getting rid of Jason Kidd and, and, and promoting Joe Prunty. And the Wizards, even without John Wall, or maybe some say because of the absence of John Wall, are six and four in their last ten. So this thing has shifted several times over the course of the season. And I would expect, Chris, it's gonna it, that's going to happen for the rest of the way. Right, and it is kind of crazy that, you know, we, we, if, if you kind of – missed a few nights of the standings, you look up and go, wait, Milwaukee's four? And mm-hmm. and it is kind of amazing to me that they did fire their coach. They did look like a team that I, you can just never figure them out because as a, some of their parts, you would figure they would be a really good team and, and they would really start to figure out you know who they are and really kick on as a, as a team with young, talented players. Obviously, we've seen the return of Jabari Parker help them a bunch, but it really has been their turn in defense. You look at the last 11 games, they've won nine of their last 11. In that period, they've been the best defensive team in the league. And so maybe that is their way forward as just this team. It was always going to be the super talented de- defensive squad. But to me, the thing that really sticks out when you look at this group of teams is the flaws in them. I would say, actually, if you're looking at a team that's least flawed, it's Philly right now. But obviously, the fact that you can't count on their players to go on a night-to-night basis is really their biggest flaw at the moment. But from a basketball point of view, I would like them the best out of this group. But I think you can really point to some severe flaws in all, I guess it would be between Milwaukee and Miami, there's three losses separating them, that bunch. And so it really just comes down to, you know, how many home games, frankly, do these teams have left? And in terms of, can you capitalize on your home games? And can you figure out a way to mitigate your flaws? Well, I think if you look at the five teams, you'd say, okay, who has the best player? It's likely Milwaukee, right? Yeah, you say Giannis. Giannis is the best player. Who has the, the best two-man combination? Uh, probably Philadelphia, I would say, right? Embiid with Embiid, yeah. Embiid and Simmons. 
Um, you know, who has the best sort of depth on their roster? You could make a case for the Heat in terms of now with the addition of Dwayne Wade. Who has the best track record of those teams? Probably Washington. The one that, that has been the biggest surprise of those five teams to be in this mix to me would be Indiana. Because as good as Oladipo has been this year, and, and I don't think anybody saw that coming, you know, to have Miles Turner kind of take a step back this season and for that team to still be seven games over 500, you know, when really, I mean, beyond Oladipo and, and again, what you expected to be sort of the emergence of Miles Turner in his, you know, third season as, as a real force in the NBA, there's just, there's a lot of role guys on that team. I mean, there, there's not a lot of players that sort of stand out to you. I think they, they're still in a, a pretty early stage of the Paul George rebuild. I think if you were to say if, if Wall was healthy, and I know there's talk about it, maybe they've, they've shared the ball a little bit more without John Wall, but if Wall was healthy, I, I would make the Wizards uh, the favorite to get the four spot. But without him healthy, I, I would lean Milwaukee at this stage, Chris. I, I think getting Jabari back, being able to incorporate him over time, they've they've clearly they've simplified things on defense without Kid there. And as you mentioned, they've been a lot better in that regard. Bledsoe's now had more than uh, what a month to six weeks to kind of uh, you know acclimate himself to their program. And and they have the best player of the bunch here. So, so my lean for the four spot at this point, uh, would, would be Milwaukee. But, but again, uh, Indiana has surprised me and, and Philadelphia, if they can stay healthy, Philadelphia has the highest, has the best net rating of all, all of these teams that's competing for a spot right now. Miami has the worst. So if you were just to look at that, you'd say, okay, maybe the Sixers are positioned to get it, but, but I would lean towards the Bucks. Even without John Wall, I'd probably say Washington, because as you mentioned, uh, of these five teams, they're the one with real pedigree in terms of what they've done in the playoffs, having won a playoff series, and, and having players who have stepped up and been in big playoff series. They're not a great regular season team, but I do think from a playoff point of view, from a pedigree point of view, they're the team that I would like the best out of this group. Quick on Miami here, because we've seen now the Heat two games with Dwayne Wade, one win, one loss, very competitive in Toronto, came back, made a run at that game, you know, towards the end of it. I can't figure out what combination Eric Spolster's playing from minute to minute because he just has, he has so many options. I mean, we saw down the stretch of that game, you know, Ellington was getting a lot of those minutes late. He went with, he went without, which has been the case for most of the season, but I was curious if it was going to continue with Dwayne in there. You've got Adebayo, who again played late instead of Whiteside, did some really good things at the end of that game, made one mistake where he didn't foul, where he needed to foul there, I think with about five seconds left, let, let a couple seconds run off the clock. Had, had some turnovers, also made a uh, terrific play to get Ellington a three late in the game on a really well-designed play out of a timeout by Spolstra. Um, I, I guess the question for the Heat becomes here, who do you play? Because I, when, once they get Olenek and, and, and Magruder back, as I said earlier, Eric has, he's got 11 or 12 guys who could conceivably impact a particular game and just night to night, you don't know what you're going to get from which guys. We look at uh, James Johnson yesterday. That was the best game he's played in a long time. But can you count on that happening in the future? What do you do if you're Spolstra? It's a really tough question because you look at their kind of lineup numbers over the course of the year, and it's been really hard to figure out which are the right groups. Obviously, injuries have kind of played a role. But I think for me, the, the answer is ultimately in trying to find offense. And I think 
He's got to study those lineup numbers. He's got to try and figure out combinations of skill sets that work. But it really is ultimately the offense that kind of leads you to the right answers. Obviously, this is a defensive-oriented organization. But in terms of the big numbers over the course of the year, this is just a team that has not lived up to it in terms of an offensive point of view. We saw Goran Dragic deliver it last night, but hasn't been consistent enough in terms of delivering that kind of performance night to night. Obviously, with Dwayne Wade trying to fit in, how does that affect kind of these offensive and these spacing looks? But they're still 25th in the league in offensive rating. Which guys do they go with to really maximize spacing, to maximize playmaking? Because those are the things that they've been lacking the most over the course of the year, which is why they've been bottom third, bottom five in the league at times in, in, in the offensive looks. I think it really is dependent on finding that right combination of guys that make sense from an offensive point of view because they have too many athletes. They have too many quality defenders to be a bad defensive team. It's finding that offensive group both late and just during the duration of a game that can help them score regularly enough. A lot of things for Eric to work out. We knew this was going to be a difficult stretch in terms of the opponents that they were playing here, but this is, again, something to watch over the last 25 games. I guess we we said who would be first of these teams. You're leaning towards Washington. I lean Milwaukee. Of these teams, which is the one you think slides all the way down to eight? I think Miami is there now, and I probably have to say that they're going to stay there. And obviously, if I was to try and prognosticate, I would say either them or Indiana. But I think Philly is going to do enough to to kind of emerge out of that group of teams. They're, they've kind of had games in hand all year in terms of having played fewer games than the rest of their counterparts. I think Philly is a team just based off the numbers that is going to continue to thrive. And I think they kind of have enough veteran presence to try and work their way out of this. And I, I think they're too good to kind of be towards the bottom end of the Eastern Conference. So I'd say probably Indiana, Miami are, are seven and eight. And I think uh, Philly will kind of settle in around six or five. You know, obviously they have to look back towards Detroit because Detroit's playing a little bit better of late, although they've lost three in a row. Kind of that Blake effect has kind of worn off a little bit. But those two teams have to look behind them. I think Miami right now, particularly when you look at the loss column, they're two off of Philly, Indiana, and uh, three off of Washington, Milwaukee in the loss column right now. Uh, I I think right now they'd probably settle in to be eight. Yeah, let's. uh, that's a good segue, Chris. Let's get to the fourth reason that the – rest of the season will be compelling in the Eastern Conference, and that is Detroit. And we wanted to talk about them separately because of all these teams, they made the biggest move, right? I mean, it didn't happen right before the trade deadline like Cleveland's moves happened, but but they got the, the, you know, the biggest pedigree player of any of the teams in the Eastern Conference by getting Blake Griffin. You mentioned it's kind of petered out here a little bit over the last three games after the hot start with Blake, but even if you look at the numbers, there are some promising things here for Detroit, and clearly, look, they're a team that's pushed the playoffs. Stan wants to make the playoffs this season. Uh, you know, I think there's some questions about kind of the structure up there going forward with, you know, Stan getting the personnel power as well as being the head coach and it really not paying off into anything so far more than, I guess, an eight seed a couple of years ago. But clearly, Stan wants to make the playoffs. And I think if you look at some of these numbers in February, which is, you know, since Blake Griffin suited up for them, they're a plus 2.6 net rating after being a minus four. They're playing at a faster pace. Their offensive rating has gone up by about three points per 100 possessions uh, since they've acquired Blake. They're also... Um, playing different guys who are giving because of the, the trade that they made there and, and some of the roles that have changed they're playing guys who were sort of under the radar playing at a higher level than some of the guys that were getting more minutes for instance if you look this season he hasn't gotten a lot of attention because the rookie class has been so good this year but Luke Kennard's got a plus five net rating 
this season, and he's getting more minutes now. And they subtracted a guy who does have a big reputation in Avery Bradley, who had a minus five net rating for the Pistons this season. So you've got Kennard playing more wing minutes. On the surface, you'll say, man, maybe that's not a great trade-off. But if you actually look at the numbers a little bit, that helps the Pistons some. Tobias Harris's numbers, when you kind of dug into him a little bit, were maybe not as good as you might have thought. So he's changed up the rotation a little bit. Jameer Nelson's played you know, pretty decent minutes over the past couple games. Ish Smith has had some struggles in terms of his consistency. They're getting Reggie Jackson back here, and, and Reggie Jackson was having a resurgent year this year. So when we talked about the five teams that could compete for the four spot, I don't know that Detroit, they've got some ground to make up. I don't know that they can make a push for that. But certainly when you look at, I think, Indiana, Miami, maybe even Philadelphia, that I do think there needs to be a little bit of concern about Detroit figuring this thing out over the last 25 to 30 games of the season. And we have seen that Stan's teams you know, can go on runs. You even go a couple of years ago. Um, when Brandon Jennings was playing so well for them before he got hurt, where you know Stan's team looked like it was buried, and then they ended up making a run, uh, you know, sort of towards the middle, towards back end of the season. So I, I think you know Detroit, as the nine seed right now, looms as a legitimate threat to get into one of those those bottom three spots in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Yeah, and I think you look at the way that the games themselves have played out, you kind of get that bounce. You beat Cleveland when they were in full crisis mode. You, you drop 125 on them. Then you have uh, home. Win- then then you kind of you know see out a home stretch against Memphis, Miami, Portland, and Brooklyn, where you win all those games. But a loss in Atlanta, you can't lose to teams that are tanking. And then you lose it by 15 at home to the Pelicans. I think you look at kind of their run of games. If you look at the eight games in totality, they look pretty good in terms of the the, the on off court numbers and the net, the offensive rating has gone up by a significant amount over where it was. But the last three have been kind of a bummer in terms of the fact that they haven't really been able to carry it out. I, I really have I have a difficult time getting a handle on them in terms of who they're going to be over these last 25 games because you've kind of seen both ends of it. I think offensively. It should start to look a uh, look a little bit better. You mentioned the pace numbers go- going up. That's a positive sign in terms of playing more in kind of the mold of the modern era, but they have kind of a lot of figuring out of their pieces to work out in terms of playing Drummond and Blake together, which of their wings work together because they too have issues with players who can't shoot or players who can't coexist on the floor. That's why I think Kennard works in terms of getting him on the floor because of his uh, ability to stretch the floor as a big. But I, I do kind of struggle to figure out who they're going to be over this last half of the season because they made such a big move, and I just don't think we've seen enough of a sample size on them yet. Look, you have 25 games to get it together, and sometimes for teams that's not enough time, and, and they're going to go into the offseason and sort of have a better idea of, of how the Blake thing will work going forward. I do think you've seen positive signs in terms of Blake and Drummond working together. That You know, you have two bigs who can pass because Drummond's passing has really improved here over the past couple of seasons. So you have two bigs that can pass. If they could just get enough shooting in this last stretch, they could, they could make a, a real run here. And look, getting Reggie Jackson back, getting another guy who can get to the basket as a penetrator, you know, they present themselves, I, you know, I think as, as a real threat, you know, Detroit's going to make a serious push to make the playoffs. I mean, that's Stan really needs to make the playoffs this year, even if it's a first round loss to Toronto, I, you know, or Boston. And, you know, once he gets there, he needs to make the postseason. I think they got, they have the new building downtown. They started to fill it a little bit more that can help, down this stretch run, but you know they're they're going to make a serious run here. There really is no other team in the Eastern Conference at this stage that can make a run for eight. So this is we're really talking about nine teams competing for eight spots. Charlotte's too far back.
back at this point, even though they didn't trade Kemba. So Detroit is is the one team to watch. All right, want to get to our fifth reason that the rest of the NBA season will be compelling, particularly in the Eastern Conference. And let's take a look at these other teams in the East. And they're bunched up also and all kind of going for lottery spots you know, as as we enter, you know, a draft that's that's going to be pretty good here, particularly at the top 10 or 15 slots. And what we wanted to go through here, Chris, was which of these teams, in your view, is furthest along in its rebuild? Which of these teams that's, that's currently settling towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference has a chance to be really competitive in the next year or two? So here are the teams. We talked a, li- a little bit about Charlotte. They've now lost four in a row. They've faded back to 23 and 33. The Knicks have lost seven in a row now. They seem to be in full tank mode, particularly after Porzingis got hurt, going to be out the rest of the season and probably half of next season. The Bulls have had some some pretty good runs at times this season. They traded Miritich when he'd been, the, I guess, their best player uh, when he was playing this year. They're, they're 20 and 36, a couple games behind the Knicks. And then the Nets and the Magic currently two games behind the Bulls and the Nets have lost six straight now. The Magic, by percentage points, are below the Nets in the standings, but, but both are tied in terms of being 20 games under 500. So looking looking at that group of five teams, which of those te- Oh, and I'm sorry, I should throw Atlanta in there, too. Atlanta actually yeah. is, is worse than the conference, 18 and 40 at this stage. So looking at those six teams, which is the team that you think is, is sort of in the best shape in terms of their rebuild at this stage? I mean, do I, do I have to answer the question? Because <laughs> uh, it, it just it, it does not look promising, really, for any of these teams. Right. Uh, it really it, it does come down to you know if you ask me this question after the lottery, I'll just you know pick the team that won. But you look at the the, the way that it's kind of shaping out right now. There are a lot of teams going in for Tankapalooza right now. You look at the last ten of the teams in kind of the bottom ten of the standings right now. Knicks two and eight, Bulls two and eight, Nets one and nine. Grizzlies two and eight, Dallas two and eight, Phoenix one and nine. These are teams that are trying to lose. Uh, Atlanta, frankly, is doing too, you know too much winning right now. They're four and six in their last ten. But if you, if you were to make me answer the question, I would probably say Chicago, just because I like the moves that they've made in kind of the post Jimmy Butler era. They're really sort of fully committed to taking it apart. I think you know teams like. Obviously, they're in the West, but, you know, Memphis, where they were trying to win, but have failed so, you know, miserably in doing so that they're, you know, in this kind of race for the number one, you know, lottery odds. Those are teams that are heading in the right direction. So in terms of teams that have, that have done well in terms of the moves that they're made, I think Charlotte has been, what are they even doing? I don't know what their strategy is in terms of the long term. In terms of teams that, to me, at least have long-term vision, I would say right now Chicago and Brooklyn are leading the way in that category. But to me, the idea that Brooklyn can't win games, despite the fact that they're trying to, they don't have their first-round pick, they should be trying to win games. Losing doesn't help them. And the fact that they're 1-9 in their last 10 is a bit disconcerting. But in terms of you know analyzing the moves that they They've been made. Do these teams have a long-term strategy? I would say right now Brooklyn and Chicago are tops in that category because Atlanta and Orlando and Charlotte, to me, are just kind of aimless franchises at the moment that don't really have coherent long-term strategies. Obviously, Atlanta right now is in kind of a full-scale rebuild, but they are still kind of stuck in between that era where they were at the top of the Eastern Conference and where they are now in terms of the players and the salaries that they have on their roster. So in terms of the teams that right now look, look to me like they have the best long long-term vision, they'd be Brooklyn and Chicago, but even those aren't terribly promising situations either. 
Yeah, I, I would look. I would go with Chicago. Clearly, I, I I think the biggest issue, you know, with Brooklyn, as you mentioned, uh, you know, they don't have their first round pick this year. Uh, the Bulls are are better positioned in that sense, and they also have. I, I think the one thing that they have, which which the Nets don't have, uh, the Magic, I, I still don't believe have, and they've got a decision to make on Aaron Gordon here going forward. The Hawks don't have, is the Bulls have, you know, two or three young players who, who I think you could see being part of the long-term core and actually being frontline players for them in, in marketing and uh, Zach Levine. And, and also, you know, we, we've seen flashes out of Chris Dunn this year. So that's three pieces that the bulls have moving forward. They also have, and I know they, they've struggled to attract free agents over the years, but, but in Chicago, you would figure you'd be able to get somebody to come up there and play with that young course. So I, I think the bulls uh, are, are the best positioned of those six teams. Uh, Charlotte has, maybe the most talent on their roster at this point, but it's just mismatched. And, you know, they didn't trade Kemba Walker. Uh, the Batum contract has, has blown up on them and not been, you know, as good a contract as it was supposed to be. We'll see what Rich Cho and, and uh, Michael Jordan decide to do going forward. But for right now, a lot of their, their moves recently have just not worked. I mean, the Kaminsky draft pick doesn't look any better in retrospect than it looked at the time. You know, clearly, Charlotte should have taken all those draft picks from Boston uh, and allowed Danny Ainge to draft uh, Winslow at number nine overall, which is what what Ainge wanted to do. So it hasn't worked out very well for Charlotte. And the Knicks' future is clouded by the Porzingis situation at this stage. I mean, you could make the argument that Porzingis was the best player of any of the players on these on these six teams, but um, now he's got a you know a one year rehab, and the Knicks still have some issues up there. Again, what do you do with with Noah? going forward in his contract you know they've got a lot of young point guards on the roster now which one of those guys is is going to emerge is tim hardaway jr you know ultimately a well-rounded enough player to be worth all the money that they gave him so the knicks are you know kind of they still haven't really bottomed out completely and maybe that happens now without porzingis for the rest of the season and the seven game losing streak is a good start in that regard but um, they're pretty much around the same place in terms of wins and losses that they've been the past Two seasons. So I would say best position for the future, Chicago. I think Brooklyn, you give them some credit because Kenny Atkinson has, has proven, I think, so far to be a pretty resourceful head coach. So it looks like at least they have their guy going forward at that spot. But I don't know. And, and, the, and when you're in a territory where you don't have your first round pick and you can really yeah. behave as if there's no consequences to your actions, I, I really do think that Sean Marks, from a front office point of view, has taken advantage of that the best that you possibly can. Try and get picks where you can. Try and take other teams' contracts where you can. I, I think they've done a good job in terms of when you have nothing to lose, go and try and take some risks to find players. I think they've done a decent job of that, although the Julio Okafor one just hasn't worked out. He's just a bad basketball player. Yeah, I think we've seen that, that. That obviously he didn't deserve to go second overall, and and I don't know that he fits, even if even if he was as good as we thought he could be coming out of college. There there were questions about whether his game fit the modern NBA, and, and but his game is just not that good. Also, so that that plays he into it. Cannot defend. He cannot he, defend. He can't defend at all. I mean, D'Angelo Russell has shown flashes this year of being the player that the Lakers uh, thought they were getting when they drafted him. So, and the Hawks and the Hawks and the Magic. Is Frank Vogel going to stick around Orlando? Is he going to be allowed to stick around there? Who is their lead guy going forward? You look at the guys that they drafted in recent years, with the exception of Aaron Gordon, you know, and I guess Vucevic is still there. The, the rest are the rest are gone, right? That their backcourt of the future was supposed to be Oladipo and Peyton. Both of those guys are gone. They, they, Jonathan Simmons has worked out 
reasonably well, but it, the Magic don't seem to have a core piece, and if they're going to keep Gordon, they're going to have to pay him a significant amount. And the Hawks, you know, they broke the entire thing down from what I guess was a 60-win roster three years ago. But you look at that team right now. John Collins has had a pretty good rookie year, but I don't. I mean, they're not very far along in the rebuild either. So, uh, you know, Chicago. Look, whether the Bulls can can drop all the way down where they can maybe get a top four pick this year, or whether or not they're sit seven or eight, I still think their best position going forward. All right. Thanks for listening to the Five Reasons podcast. Again, you can find us on iTunes as well as Stitcher and Google Play. Uh, we're recording three a week, so look for them usually out on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but we might drop an occasional one on, on a Tuesday or Thursday when circumstances warrant it. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe so you can get the episodes automatically. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.